0: turn in your Bibles to Judges chapter 2. <clears throat> Judges chapter 2. I'd like to start a series on the book of Judges and like to look at the first one out of Judges chapter 2 this morning titled uh, Introduction to Judges. Judges comes right after Joshua. We know Joshua is the one that led the children into the, the into the promised land. Moses would have led them out of Egypt but the uh, it says in, uh, in, at the, in opening a book of Joshua, it opens the book up with the death of Moses and it introduces Joshua. Well, when we get to the book of Judges, we see it opens up with the death of Joshua in chapter 1, verse 1, talks about Joshua being dead, but there's no leader to replace him, no leader there. And we see it's the time of the Judges from, uh, from Joshua till King Saul, there was no leader in Israel. And that's what we have—the tribes operating as the, their own individuals, more so. And the key verse, the theme verse in the uh, in the book of Judges is: "In those days, there was no king in Israel; everyone did that which was right in his own eyes." So there's the um, a key verse that comes up, and more so at the end of the book when we see that it's the, that's what characterizes the book of Joshua the book of Judges. Everyone does what he thinks, and it leads to chaos. It leads to chaos. When we think about the outlines for um, an outline for the book of Judges, we can look at the first two chapters as if the look at the A's apathy, the second the, is the third, the three to 16, apostasy, and the chapters 17 to 21, anarchy. And that sort of describes the, the book there. Another way to outline it would be conquest, compromise, and chaos or sort of the same things of the seas. So the book of Judges uh, just recounts a lot of sad events of the children of Israel, their apostasy. It, you, we are going to see compromise and failure and disobedience and apostasy. And we see, you know, they come in and they they conquered the land, the conquest to the compromise. And that could have been a, could have been a title this morning as well, conquest to the to compromise we see a lot of compromise going on so it's not a really inspiring book but it's yet it's Israel's history it's Israel's history and the Bible follows you know the redemption of man it's a story of the redemption of man it's a lot about the, the life of Israel so we, we see that Israel was written for our admonition for our learning the, the, the history so we read it and we can learn from it. We see a lot of cycles that are going to repeat in the Book of Judges, and that is the uh, the repentant, a blessing. starts out with blessing, and then disobedience, and then chastening. The Lord chastens them, then they repent, and then they're delivered. So that that we see coming, uh, uh, happening like over seven times through the Book of Judges. First, they start; they walked on, they obeyed the Lord. They walked according to his word. Then they rebelled and they began to worship idols. Then the Lord would discipline them by bringing the neighboring oppressors against them. And then they cry out to God and God raises up a deliverer, a judge. And then the whole cycle starts over again by them turning back to their idolatry. So we see see sin, then we see oppression, and then we see crying out, and then we see deliverance. And the, the sin and the oppression go together. When, we then, when there's sin, there's, it's often followed by oppression because the Bible says the way of the transgressor is hard. But then we see the crying out and the deliverance going together. When we cry out to God, he is faithful to deliver us. So each cycle seems, it gets worse and worse. Um, you know, we get to the book of Kings, and it still gets worse, and the God brings judgment, and they go on into captivity. But after they return from captivity, uh, under Ezra and Nehemiah up to the day of Jesus' time, they never turned back to idolatry. They never turned, but they fell into another ditch, and that was legalism. They just made all these rules to avoid it. But we see that, you know, we look at the, 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 the children of Israel as a whole, you know, and you ask the question, how could they come out of Egypt and see the great miracles that, that God did in front of them and see the walls of Jericho fall flat and so quickly fall into idolatry? What went wrong? What are the lessons that we can learn? What can we, how can we apply that today? And we want to look at uh, chapter largely chapter 2 this morning. Chapter 1 is... is uh, the, the writer is probably likely Samuel, we don't know for sure, but chapter 1 talks about the land that they conquered and land that they didn't conquer, and then chapter 2 and verse 6, it sort of stops and just gives a summary of the whole book, and that's where we're going to park this morning, and we're going to look at the summary of the whole book, the book in a nutshell, to help us get a better understanding of the the other uh, messages we're going to look at later and the, the, the actual individual judges like Deborah and Gideon and Samson and so on. So I think I'm going to read chapter 2 at this time here. In chapter, Judges chapter 2, it says, And an angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochum and said, I made you to go up out of Egypt and brought you out of the land which I swear to your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you and ye shall make no league with the inhabitants of the land. You shall, you shall throw down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? Wherefore, I also said, I will drive them out before you, but you, they shall be as thorns in your sides, and their gods shall be a snare unto you. And it came to pass when the angel of the Lord spake these words unto all the children of Israel that the people wept, and their voice, with their, lifted up their voice and wept. And they, and they called the name of that place Bochum, and they sacrificed there unto the Lord. And now here's the summary, starting the summary of the whole book. It says, And when Joshua had let the people go, the children of Israel went every man into his own inheritance to possess the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua, all that the days the days of the elder that the elders that outlived Joshua, who had seen the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died being 110 years old. They buried him in the border of his inheritance in Timnath, in the mountain of Ephraim, on the north side of the hill Gash. And also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers. And there arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam, And they forsook the Lord their God, their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt and followed other gods of the gods of the people that were round about them and bowed themselves unto them and provoked the Lord to anger. And they forsook the Lord and served Baal and Ashereth. And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he delivered them into the hands of the spoilers that spoiled them. And he sold them into the hands of the enemies round about so that they could no longer stand before their enemies. Whithersoever they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them for evil. As the Lord had said, and as the Lord had sworn unto them, that they were greatly distressed. Nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges, which delivered them out of the hands of those that spoiled them. And yet they would not hearken unto their judges, but went a-whoring after other gods, and bowed themselves unto them. They turned quickly out of the way which their fathers walked in. Obeying the commandments of the Lord, but they did not so. And when the Lord raised up judges, and then the Lord was with the judge and delivered them out of the hands of the enemies all the days of the judge. For it repented the Lord because of their groanings by reason of them that oppressed them and vexed them. And it came to pass when the judge was dead that they returned and corrupted themselves more than their fathers in following other gods to serve them and to bow down unto unto them they ceased not from doing their own doings nor from their stubborn way and the anger of the lord was hot against israel and he said because that this people hath transgressed my covenant which i commanded their fathers and have not hearkened unto my voice i will not i will i also will not henceforth drive out any from before them the nations of joshua left when he died that, they, that through them I may prove Israel whether they will walk in the way of the Lord to walk therein as their fathers did keep it or not. Therefore the Lord left those nations without driving them out hastily. Neither delivered he them into the hand of Joshua. So here we see the, um, the book starting with uh, Joshua. You know, he was a great leader. <clears throat> he was a great leader. Joshua's leadership was very, uh, he was known as a great leader when they con- conquered the land, when they went into the conquest. And here's a verse that says in Joshua, it says, Joshua took the whole land according to all the, the Lord had said unto Moses, and Joshua gave it for an inheritance unto Israel, according to their division by their tribes, and the land rested from war. So we can think of Joshua as, a, as the one that helped them, the children of Israel get established in the promised land. He led them in, and they helped each other, and they took the land that the Lord promised them. And they got settled in. And, uh, and now there's another verse that in Joshua 13 says, "Now Joshua was old and stricken in years." and the Lord said unto him, "Thou art old and stricken in years, and there yet, yet remaineth and there remaineth yet very much land to be possessed." So there was still a lot of land that went after they got settled in, and if you want to look, if we think about the promised land, this is the biblical outline of the promised land. It talks about the great river of Egypt up to the Euphrates River and across. So that's the promised land given to Abraham, and he says there's yet much land to be possessed. So think about it. This land was occupied by the the Philistines and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Jebusites, and uh, but God gave this land to them, and He promised it to them. But they had to possess it; they had to possess it. And and we think about the uh, God could have drove them all out, but He did, He didn't drive them all out. He was trying to prove Israel. He wanted to. You know, sometimes God drove all the people out. The Bible talks about Him using the hornet. And, you know, when the children of Israel went around the walls of Jericho, you know, basically God laid the walls flat, but the children of Israel had their thing to do, it was their part to do. And God was testing Israel whether they would walk in the way of the Lord or not. It would have been very easy for him to wipe out all those people that they could have just entered and walked right in. But he was testing them to see if they loved him, if they would show their love by their obedience. Now, it says about another generation coming on. In verse 7, actually, first talks about the, the generation that, which, which knew not the Lord, but there was a generation that saw the first hand miracles that God did, and it says that they served the Lord. And then it says there's, there's another generation coming along, and they didn't see these firsthand miracles, but they didn't know the Lord. It says they did, which knew not the Lord. Now, how does, to how, what does that mean? Did you think they didn't know anything about God or the facts of God? They didn't know anything about the Red Sea? You know, it's that they knew they knew of God, but they didn't know God. You know, I imagine they heard these stories at their church when they went to church, like the Red Sea and all. They would have heard. But it means that they didn't have a personal acquaintance with God. You know, they didn't have a personal experience. It was always Joshua's God or their, their, not their own God. And we need to... It's a personal experience that we need to have with the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to trust him personally, obey him personally. Another thing we see is they forsook the Lord. And that comes out here very clear. What does forsake mean? They forsook the Lord. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't say they denied the Lord. They just forsook him. They, they, they weren't saying that they didn't have a God, but he just wasn't their the best god or they had other gods that they were chasing after the idea of forsaking god is like living the christian life and just maybe going through the motions or being mundane you know if we deny the lord we probably won't go to church but if we forsake the lord we'll likely go to church at least when it's convenient You know, when we're forsaking the Lord, it's probably because we're chasing after something else. And that's what we're going to see here with the children of Israel. We desire something else. We desire something else has our attention. And for the children of Israel, it was the Canaanite influence. And for us today, there's a Canaanite influence that we need to guard against. An idol is anything that takes us away from God. For Israel was Baal and Asherah. You know, they served other gods. It says they forsook God to serve other gods. You know, you ask the question, how could they forget so fast, forsaking God, to to worship the horrific Canaanite worship? It was horrific. If you would have told that first generation that saw the walls of Jericho fall flat, that someday the children of Israel are going to throw their babies into the altar of Molech, they would have said, no way, it can't happen. It wouldn't happen. If you would have told men Simons back in the day that someday your followers are going to ordain women sodomite in the pulpit, he would have said, no way, won't happen. But it happened. It happened. How? Why? I'd like to look at the, the original command that God gave to Moses. God gave Moses this command back in Deuteronomy. This was the command that he says, this is what they're supposed to do when they go into the promised land. And we're going to go through these six verses here. And I just want to think about it. It's very specific. Very God is very specific. He says, When the Lord thy God... Shall bring thee into the land whither thou goest to possess it, and hast cast out many nations before thee: the Hittites and the Gergesites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites—seven nations greater, greater, and mightier than now. And when the Lord thy God shall deliver them before thee, thou shalt smite them and utterly destroy them. Thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor show mercy unto them. Utterly destroy them. Very clear, right? utterly destroy them make no covenant with them show no mercy unto them that's this is god's command next verse don't don't intermarry neither shall thou make marriages with them thy daughters thou shalt not give unto thy sons there are no these daughters to take thy son they will turn why because they will turn away thy son from following me that they may serve other gods so will the anger of the lord be kindled against you and destroy thee suddenly again very clear next verse but but thus thus shall you deal with them this is how you should deal with them you shall destroy their altars break down their images cut down their groves and burn their graven images with fire why because thou art a holy people unto the lord thy god that Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself, above all people that are upon the face of the earth. Is anything unclear? But you have not obeyed my voice. This is Judges 2 in verse 2. It says, and you shall make no league with the inhabitants of the land. You shall throw down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? So the the instruction was very clear. They were to drive them out. They were to utterly destroy them. They were to tear down their altars. They were to make no league with them. They were to show no mercy to them. They were to not to intermarry. just blows tolerance out the window, right? Unfortunately, they didn't do what God said. They disobeyed or had at least partial obedience. They didn't drive out the enemies. In, verse, in, chapter, in chapter 1, verse 27, if you have your Bibles open there, it says, Neither did Manasseh drive out, and then it names the towns specifically. Neither did Ephraim drive out, and it names the towns specifically. In verse 30, Neither did Zebulun drive out, and it names the towns specifically. And neither did Asher. See, they, they just drove enough of people out, built some houses, and got settled in. They didn't drive out the enemies. They made leagues with them. They said, hey, let's just make them pay. Let's just make them, it's going to help us out financially here. We can control this. We can manage this. We'll just put them under tribute. It's not what God said. And they were to destroy their altars. And if there's one thing that the prophets, if you read through the kings and the prophets, they were always dealing with the altars and the groves. In chapter 3, the next verses that we we would have read on would have been right here. And the children of Israel dwelt among the Canaanites, the Hittites and the Amorites, the Perizzites and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Step number one. They just dwelt with them. Number two, they took their daughters to be their wives and their daughters to their sons. Disobedience. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and forgot the Lord their God and served Balaam and the groves. There they were. The steps of compromise. They dwell among them. They married. They served Balaam. And they, um, you know, Israel didn't fail to obey because it was just the commands were not specific or unclear. It was very clear. They didn't fail because they were incapable of driving out the enemies. God said he would be with them. God said he'll do it. Even though they they said, well, they have iron chariots and they had their excuses, God would have been with them. You know, they didn't fall into idolatry because the idols were just too irresistible. Comes back to the Sunday schools, your question, why? What was wrong? What went wrong? I think they forsook the Lord. They forsook the Lord and their love grew cold. And that involves a lot of other things, but... That's what it comes down to. You can say you love the Lord, but if you're not driving, if we're not driving out the Canaanites, isn't it just talk? And it says the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. God couldn't just look the other way. God gave his love for Israel and, he, and it, when, when uh, God just couldn't look the other way when they started serving Baal and gave their devotion to Baal. The Lord, he initiated a covenant relationship with Israel and he kept his part of the deal and he expected Israel to keep their part. He was faithful and he expected Israel to be faithful as well. And God wanted, what he wanted is for the children of Israel to be unique and distinctive and peculiar and just language that Peter picks up for us in the New Testament. But they chose to be like the idolaters dollars nations around them well god delivered them into the hands of the spoilers the very people they were supposed to drive out turned around and were their oppressors they spoiled them they robbed their crops they robbed their possessions they hid in caves and this is what we're going to be looking at in the future lessons and and uh, when god raises up judges but they plundered the people Instead of prosperity and peace like they were, if they would, they were reduced to poverty. The hand of the Lord was against them. He caused, it, he caused them to be weak. God allowed this to happen in order to bring Israel back to him. You know, he said in Deuteronomy eight twenty eight, if you obey me, you'll be blessed, right? If you disobey me, you will be cursed. The joy of the serving the Lord was gone. It was empty fellowship there, and they were being oppressed. It was painful, and they were suffering. And uh, it was like thorns in their side. That's exactly what God said. It's going to be like thorns in your sides, and their God will be a snare to you. If you don't drive out the enemies, they're going to be like thorns in your side. God God said that. And how does a thorn feel? How would you like to be in a a thorn bush 24-7? Thorns everywhere. They were greatly distressed because of their disobedience. And think about it. The time span of the judges was approximately 350 years, give or take. Some of the judges overlapped. And, but one-third of that time they spent in slavery. One-third of that time was spent in slavery. They were under the thumb of the heathen nations that were there that they were supposed to drive out. Well, the mercy of the Lord, God raised up judges. God wasn't going to, uh, you know, he, he responds to His people crying out. And, you know, He was in His in His judgment, He's justice, and we see Him in raising up judges here. He's full of mercy and grace. He's gracious. He raised up a judge, and that's where we're going to have you know Deborah and Gideon and Samson and all these judges come up at this time. They have, they were come for a special. They had special power for a special purpose, and uh, one of the mark of all the judges was that the spirit of the Lord was upon them. Now the Hebrew word judge means deliverer. It's not a courtroom judge as we think about it, but a deliverer, deliverer. And crying, it talks about crying out. You know, crying out to the Lord doesn't necessarily mean that they repented of their sins. Could have been some, but I believe it refers more to their groanings. Because of their disobedience, the stress they were in. You know, in the accountant Samson, they didn't even, they didn't even cry out to God. God came and 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 raised up, came to Samson's parents. But you know, God made a promise and to preserve the nation of Israel. He promised that through the nation of Israel that He would bless the world. And through the seed, that through the seed of the Messiah that would come, and God will fulfill that promise even though even through an unbelieving apostate nation god keeps his word you know the story of the book of the book of judges is a story of god keeping his end of the deal even if israel didn't then it says they wouldn't hearken unto the judges it says they went a whoring after other gods you know in spite of god raising up judges and and the people just still refused to remain faithful, right back into their Canaanite, to their Canaanite gods. And it mentions so quickly, mentions the word quickly. They were probably happy for the relief, you know, that came from the um, the from the oppressors, but they refused to submit to God and the judges that God sent. It says they went a whoring after other gods. Now, you read this and you think, you know, wow, that, isn't that crude language for the Bible? Language of prostitution in the Bible. It, it is crude. But it gets the point across. It's spiritual, it's spiritual adultery is what it was. And it, it gets to the point And it describes Israel's spiritual apostasy. It's quite a contrast from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You know, their lives were characterized by faith, by obedience to the commandments, and the result was blessing and prosperity, just like God promised. But here we see, instead of surrender to God, they bowed to other gods. They bowed to Baal. I think I'm going to skip over this, but, you know, it was prophesied that they were going to do this, and they heard about it Sunday after Sunday. We see the cycle just repeats and gets worse and worse. They corrupted themselves more and more, and their oppression gets longer and longer. First they were oppressed for six years, then they were oppressed for 12 years, then 20 years, then 40 years. One thing we want to look at yet is they were stubborn. Stubbornness. They, they, they ceased not from doing their own, their own doings, nor from their stubborn way. You know, Samuel talks about the rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. You know, rebellion is, is as witchcraft. It's not witchcraft in itself, but it's like witchcraft, equal to, satanic. And stubbornness is maybe not rebellion, but it's just being stubborn. That's what it says the children are just being stubborn. I'm going to, I don't care what anybody says. I'm going to, I'm not doing this. It says it's as idolatry and iniquity. Is there stubbornness in my life? You know, there's nothing about the Christian life that would be that's that's hard unless we're stubborn. Stubbornness. That goes along with the key verse, the theme verse in the book. You know, every man doing that which is right in his own eyes. Well, there's Bible truths here. We want to look at some application. There's Bible truths here that stand true today and number one is that god has a zero tolerance for idolatry thou shall have no other gods before me disobedience to the first commandment led to wholesale departure from god's law you know just out of egypt's bondage they were god miraculously liberated them and so quickly they turned this this uh, liberty into a license to sin god has a zero toleration requirement Israel says, you know, that's not so bad. It's not so bad. Another thing we see is God is jealous. God is jealous. He has it's a righteous jealousy. His name is said to be jealous. God is jealous. Uh, for his name. He will not share his glory with another. It's not acceptable with God. Another thing that just rings loud and clear is God is sovereign. God is sovereign. He allowed the nations to come in and suppress them, these spoilers. God, who is sovereign, allowed this to happen in order to bring Israel back to him. God is, he will discipline those that he loves. It's truth; that's true today. Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. We sing the song, love that will not let go. And we could, uh, there's other things, the mercy of God just shrinks, is, 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 very overarching in this story in this the book of judges you know judges is about bondage and oppression and suffering and tears and starvation and all the terrible things that just go under the being under the thumb of a heathen nation wicked people and all of this none of this had to happen none of this had to happen now how did it start what what where, where did it start and I believe one of the things is they didn't, deal, they didn't deal with the enemies. They didn't deal with the enemies like they told them. They, weren't, they didn't destroy their altars. There was partial obedience. If they would have dealt with the, the, the enemies like they were supposed to, there might, there might not have been a Philistine Goliath for David to fight. Now, our fight in the New Testament is different. We're not fighting people like the Canaanites like they did, but we do have a fight. We do have a fight. The Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of this darkness, of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. For we walk not in the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. So we have a fight. We don't fight other people. We uh, Like in the Old Testament, we don't fight... We're not fighting for land. It's a spiritual battle. It's a spiritual battle. And we have weapons. It's not guns and swords, but we have the, the armor of God that we put on. We have an enemy, the devil. Now, the devil is defeated. Jesus defeated the devil, but he is, we still have a fight. We have, we're fighting against the, the wiles of the devil, the work of the devil, the agents of the devil. The devil has this, the world, and he has the flesh. Our human nature within, we have a foe. God wants our allegiance and the devil wants our allegiance. God wants us to give us our heart and our mind to him and the devil wants to give us our heart and our mind to him. God wants us to fight against sin, but the devil wants us to just have the attitude of the children of Israel. It's not so bad. We have a battle. We have a battle. But, you know, there's, there's, there's Christians that don't want to fight. Don't want to fight. We can thank God that we're out of Egypt, you know, saved by the blood of the Lamb. We're through the wilderness, whatever our wilderness experiences are, and we, we, we want to go to heaven when we die, but we don't want to fight against the things that can destroy the Christians' lives. And it's largely sin. You know, the Bible says we have all sinned. John says if anybody says he hasn't sinned, he's a liar. So we all have come short, and we all have... A, have disobeyed a commandment somewhere and, and, and the question is for you and for myself, am I fighting against that? Do I take revenge against that or is it just a little mistake? Colossians says, our fight is to mortify sin. If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. That's the child of God. The next verse says talks about setting our affections on things above. And then it goes on and talks about being part of Christ in verse 3 and 4. And then in verse 5 it says mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth and it mentions a whole list of sins to mortify. And then it says put off these anger and wrath and another list. He's saying if you if you are a child of God, if you if you claim to be a child of God and are and, are, and going to heaven, part you need to You're going to be mortifying. You're going to taking putting a fight against sin. You're going to put away that Canaanite influence, that Canaanite. um, You know, the Lord told Israel they would need to drive out the enemy. They're to utterly destroy them. Make no league with them. The Lord's telling us to mortify sin, to kill the deeds of the body, to put up a fight against the sin in our lives, the sin that so easily does beset, beset us. Declare war on the besetting sins. What is it? Maybe it's swearing. Viewing impure images. Maybe it's gossip. Maybe it's covetousness. Maybe it's murmuring. Are we fighting against what we are struggling with? We need to declare war on the sin. We need to declare war on the world. Here's a verse in Galatians where it says, but God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. We need to crucify the world. The world is a subtle influence. It's a Canaanite influence that's creepy, has its fingers in everywhere. And we need to, as Paul says here, because he's because of the cross of Christ the world said goodbye to him, and he's saying goodbye to the world. He's crucifying the world, and we need to crucify the world. We need to declare war against those, the worldly influences in our lives. What about the Canaanite movies where they curse, where they take the name, Lord's name in vain, where they kill one another, where they dress immodestly, where they talk filthy? How can we watch that and expect no negative influence? How can we do that? that, Wouldn't that be the same as the children of Israel just saying, well, I can control this. I'm going to manage it. I'll put put it under tribute. I'll, I'll control this. I can handle this. The Bible says no. Mortify. Kill. That's our fight today. We're not fighting the flesh and blood. We're fighting against influences. We're fighting against... The Canaanite influence, what about country music? Country music is something that is is a Canaanite influence that defies a lot of God's commandments. They that are Christ have crucified the flesh and with its lusts and affections. They that are Christ, if we are Christ, that's what we're gonna be doing. That's what it says. We need to declare war on the flesh, and that's our lustful desires. There's another verse. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with its affections and lusts. And we need to do this in order that we can have our hearts and our minds filled with more of Christ. We can grow in him, become more like him. It's interesting. I put this verse up first. The verse right ahead of it is the fruit of the Spirit. Very familiar verse, right? The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against there is such there is no law. We, you know, this is the verse we quote. It's, it's what we want, right? The fruit of the Spirit. That's God's pr- proof that we're a Christian. How do we get it? The very next verse says, And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. We need to kill. We need to crucify, put to death, the flesh, our desires. That's part of the, um, that's our fight in the New Testament. That's, so how, you know, if we want a life of goodness, what do we do? How do we get it? We kill off the things that aren't good. If I want a life full of joy, what must I do? I must get rid of, kill the things that rob me of my joy. Put them to death. Let's fight the thing we're struggling with. Let's fight the thing. It's going to be different for each one of us, but let's fight that sin that does so easily beset us. We can't have the attitude of the children of Israel, you know, it just it won't hurt us. or we'll, we'll, we'll be okay. It won't affect us. But the truth is it, it does. It does. If we have a pet sin, uh, it has the potential to grow into a stronghold. And then it not only becomes a th- can not only becomes a thorn in our side, but it can have eternal consequences. Eternal consequences. And here I have the last verse. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. Our fight or, or lack of a fight has eternal consequences. It says if we live after the flesh... If we just follow our fleshly desires and just live after them, it says we're going to die. And that means that we're going to lead, it leads to an eternal death. It leads to an eternal death. But if you, through the Spirit, we'll get to that, but if you mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. If we put to death the deeds of the body, it leads to eternal life. It has eternal consequences. Eternal consequences. Now, and the other thing that we have to see in this verse is that if you, through the Spirit, God's there to help us. Just like God was there to help the children of Israel. Just like he put them, they, they had to go around the walls of Jericho, but he, he laid them flat. He will help. There's nothing that is too big, that's too great, that God can't help us Overcome. To, be, to overcome. We have our part to do. You know, the Bible says, make no provision for the flesh. That's our part to do, right? If we make provision for the flesh, we can't expect God to come in through his spirit and just take care. We, need, we have our part to do. But if we don't destroy the enemies in our life, they have the potential to destroy us. And this verse tells us there's eternal consequences at stake. So one thing a Christian will do is fight the enemies of his life. That's how we become overcomers, right? Now, it's not just about fighting off. You know, there's much more to the Christian life than just fighting off. This is one small part of it. But it is part of it. We are going to mortify the deeds of the body. We're going to mortify. We're going to wage war on sin. It's part of the Christian's life. So we, that, we, we look at the children of Israel... As as an example, the last verse there, Sunday school lesson, now all these things happen unto them for examples and are written for us today. And that's how we want to look at it. The example of the children of Israel is if we don't, you know, for them, if they they didn't fight off the enemies and they allowed their influence and it eventually destroyed them to the place that God had to judge them. And if the children of Israel would have got this one right, you know, what would have they how would have it ended? Could have been so differently. Thank the Lord. If you if 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 you through his spirit do mortify the deeds of the you shall live. It's a promise. And God is faithful. And he will help us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness and love. Thank you for the many blessings that you give us as your children. Help us to be faithful in uh, fighting off, waging war against the enemy, against sin, against the world, against our flesh. Lord, I just pray for each one here. Help us to be uh, fighting off those things that are the, the besetting sins in our lives or the worldly influences in our lives. Father, help us to see your spirit there to help us. Lord, thank you for the, the lessons in your word that we can learn from. Help us to learn from the truths of your word. Father, be with us as we part. We pray this in Jesus' worthy name. Amen.